The ship was found drifting just east of the island at dawn. The cove, with the iron-flat green leaves giant as elephant stars, bright as emeralds in the distant salts, had sucking waves at swim feet depth, like an animal's undercoat, its wiring electric and hungry as gold. The crew was gone, and there was some confusion about their original number. Some documents said one thing, some people said another. But when the boat appeared in the cold sun in the stinking spring, honeycombed under with ragged barnacles rolling up in lunging swells, the soaked shell of it was empty of men. But some parts of the ship, mainly the galley, told a story. What it precisely was, no one could discern, but the shock of terror could be sensed, still hung in the nets and ropes. The crew had gone in nicked groups, not all at once. A few had scrawled notes, but they were incomplete. They said, love. October. They stared out to wind. The shore here was a belt of topiary rocks. She went with him when she could. They'd been married down there and had for a long time brought their beer and coffee to the beach each morning and night. They waved to the lighthouse keepers and pushed the toes of their boots in the sand. But something had happened to him out there on the last trip. Now he was changed, ripped. After the incident on the ship, he took to staring out to sea for long hours at a time. She'd offer her hand, and he would take it, gratefully at first, but then as they walked aside the waves, his grip would go pointless, go shy, forgotten, limp and silvery white. Not dead, though, as the dead are hardly pointless, and she believed they guide us more in our daily lives than our minds can handle knowing. But he'd gone to the liminal, the in-between, and was caught. His eyes grew sunken, pink with fear. He smelled different, smelled murky. So without him, she went now to the water to find her, to look in her eyes, to ask that she take at least some mercy on him and make it quick while he slept by the kelp and rack, searching down for the tendons of her hair. And nobody likes to talk about this last part. There was another ship, a third, December. Like the first one, but this one wasn't found without a crew. Well, it was. Do you know what this means? It means that the men were torn apart and the pieces of them were strewn like gory toys over the decks. Wild smears of scavenger gulls and flies had been feasting for unknown days. Everyone screamed. Inspection revealed a large glass-sided box on board and officers concluded it was used as a tank and that shards of it lined the floor beneath the quarters like shattered tiles. Based on writings and sketches found in the berths and tucked under hard pillows and bunks, 
the men had seen a strange humanoid fish and brought it aboard. From the drawings, it was evident the creature could change itself, especially through the face, sometimes creamy and soft-limbed with a faraway sadness, while other depictions revealed an oily black mouth full of long, sharp teeth. There was a camera discovered as well, which contained some spent film. But these photographs were taken away. Hello, are you, are you there? Hello, uh, yes, I'm here. I am here. So, uh, where exactly are you? I am on an island in San Juan, up in the Washington State, and uh, come here to to visit a friend of mine. But there, I, I I've had a feeling that there's something kind of going on with this person for a while, and I I had this confirmed uh, by some other some other people I know who had been sort of trying to keep communication with her. And so I um, contacted her and said, you know, how about I, I, how about I come visit? And she was expecting me and I, I came and, um, you know, it, it felt pretty great. Um, you know, this time of year, um, just get, you know, getting on a ferry and going to a very, a very cool spot um, of an um, island out a little bit in the ocean, and it just, it's, it's. Um, I really was getting a very, a, a very, a very calm kind of feeling on the way out. But then once I arrived, all that really changed. I got to my friend's dock, and I couldn't find her anywhere. She appears to have left suddenly, unexpectedly, and uh, I then uh, promptly injured myself. <laughs> I slipped on, I slipped on some rocks, and so I am somewhat laid up in her house. She left me a brief cryptic note, and uh, I don't know uh, what to think. I'm concerned. Um, I've been going through, been going through uh, her office. The whole thing is really painting quite a, quite a mysterious picture. Um, also, you know, to make matters a little more harrowing, I took a look around. She um, last time I was here, I, I guess it has been, it's been a while, but she had a cat, and I don't know. I, I she didn't mention the cat. I. I I don't see evidence of the cats still living here. I even kind of hobbled over to ask um, her closest neighbors, uh, and they 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 looked at me through the the window of their door, and they didn't open it to me. Which I, mean, I guess on the one hand I can understand, but on the other hand it seems it seems a bit strange. <laughs> seems a bit harsh. So I don't know if I'm supposed to be uh, watching for a creature, taking care of her cat. Um, 
I don't know really what I'm supposed to be doing, although I, at the moment, can't do very much. So I, I have been uh, looking through her house, trying to find some clues about what might be going on. I've been trying to reach the other people who were trying to reach her. I can't reach them. I'm just, uh, I guess, trying to give it at least a few more days to where I can get around a little better. Uh, but I've just been looking out at the sea a lot uh, and thinking about, trying to think about what she has been thinking about, or at least my impressions of what she's been thinking about. A few years ago, I saw her. We, um, we went on a trip together, um, and it, it was strange. I, I remember thinking that it's, it seemed as if she wasn't, she wasn't the same person. Um, something had happened to her. Um, we had actually gone to uh, Wyoming, and she, she just seemed very restless and kind of unable to relax. She was having trouble sleeping. She was even having trouble eating, really. She would just wander around at night, which I thought was fairly, fairly dangerous. The only explanation she really gave me was that it was too far inland for her and she was feeling, she was feeling very itchy and very restless and very uncomfortable, like uh, she didn't belong there. If she had been actually writing a book on uh, some some lore of the sea, uh, specifically on mermaids. And I've been looking through a lot of her work and her notes on her research. And um, it's been a little eerie, but very fascinating. You know, it's just, it's one of those creatures that every, you know, every country has some version of it in its, in its, history and lore and there's also constantly this contradiction between it's um being this kind of celebrated uh harbinger of good luck and also a, a, a terrible sign you know at the, very, at the very least a sign of bad luck uh and at the, at the worst you know the most terrible omen you could you could possibly uh, have um but i think she was really trying to dig into these contradictions and pull apart some of these legends and i just i feel like i can see that there's a tension growing and a kind of a darkness happening with her yeah i um mermaids i i only know one story um myself um I, I, a long time ago, I read, uh, you know, a translation of a translation. Uh, who knows how accurate this was? Didn't think of it, much of it at the time. It was the diary of a Japanese farmer from the 16th century, uh, talking about um, a little place, a little fishing village, which is now uh, Ushimato. On the Japanese coast, and uh, diary was uh, talking about a, a little little settlement of about fifty or sixty people who were being uh, apparently um, harassed, maybe is the word, by mermaids. 
Um, and in the diary, at one point, the farmer writes that he went to this town one day and everyone in it had vanished, 50 or 60 people. They're all, all gone. The houses were empty, no sign of, of anyone. And when people from neighboring areas gathered to look into what happened, they found that on the shoreline, the shoreline was cluttered with valuables, people's valuables, um, and only things that were what we think of as, as valuable, uh, everything from money to uh, materials that could be traded, uh, all cluttering the, the beach. And uh, some legend grew that uh, these people were making one collective offering to the mermaids so their village would be left alone. And uh, by deduction, the mermaids ignored the offerings and took them all uh, into the sea. You know, it's it's very convoluted, the, the history of it. I mean, there's so many different tales from so many different areas. And being a sea creature, um, you know, there, there's there's a few, you know, the, I mean, often they're equated with creatures that aren't quite the same. Like a siren is a little different. A harpy is a little different. But, but they can kind of blend together in certain stories. But um, you know, d during this, this quote age of discovery, you know the, the time of the time of Columbus, um, it seemed as if these these um, legends of sort of the mermaid that we most readily think of today, uh, you know, this sort of beautiful young woman with the, with the the long hair, sort of <laughs> floating in the sea, you know, very seductive. Um, this got very operatic during that time because, as you can sort of imagine, you had these men you know, going out on these violent conquering expeditions that were, yeah, years long. And they really, I mean, not only were they kind of riled up in this mindset, because that's what they were out there to do, to conquer, add that just the, the them being completely demented with the, with the, the weeks and months and years at, at sea, uh, you know, they, they were, um, it's during this time that you really start to hear of this kind of mermaid, you know, this kind of image, uh, of this sort of um, this this the symbol of you know everything that's alluring about the feminine, but also everything that's monstrous, right? Because she'll 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 call you to the rocks, and then she'll she'll drag you down to the depths with with her. Um, <laughs> really, probably what the, you know they were seeing in these accounts that they were recording were just the, you know, like manatees or something, you know, but, uh, just, just, you know, add all of those, uh, lizard brain and, uh, salt water and, uh, you know, the, all of those elements in, <laughs> and it just, it's kind of a fascinating soup. Yeah. That, uh, idea of offerings. I, my friends had done so. I don't, I don't know if this was what it was meant to be, uh, but sh the back door, um, I guess, you know, the back or front door, it's the door that's le that you open and it leads out to the porch and down to the sea. My friend at some point began nailing shells to the door, on the inside of the door, um, all these different colors and sizes and shapes. 
I can't even identify half of them, but I, you know, I wonder if this was, I don't know what an offering of a protection. I think that the, the rabbit hole that she was going down, um, you know, the, the, the fear of mermaids, uh, specifically can, can really sort of be boiled down to the fear of, of women um, in a lot of ways. And I, I think she was finding that the deeper she dug, the more evidence of that she was finding. I think she found it very, very fascinating, but also very ugly. I don't think it did a lot for her optimism or for her, um, her urge to relate to the world around her. I mean, she had been so, um, she'd been really cutting herself off from, uh, from her family and her friends. Do you know what um, the term thalassophobia means? No. Thalassophobia is the fear of bodies of water. And uh, I just, I just, I'm remembering a, 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 someone I met, a man I met once who had a, and I don't know what the word for this is, but it was an unusual strain of this. He had, only a fear of very still bodies of water. He could he could tolerate the ocean and the sea. Something about the the rolling movement and the sound of it didn't upset him. But when it came to say a lake, a very still, serene lake, which which you know sometimes they don't make any real sound, or, or a pond, say in summertime or or wintertime, just black and reflective and just silent he really had a very very strong fear of those knowing it was irrational and i could almost begin to to understand it when a, when a body of water is is so unmoving like that it, it becomes this very secretive entity because you know that there is chaos in life underneath, but it's not giving any sign of it. It's, it's like it's hiding something. I just get these visual images of, in my mind of uh, just a very still body of water, suddenly uh, ripples forming and then something, something coming out of it. He took a job on a fishing boat. The trips were hard and close quarters and non-stop work, but they paid well and rewarded those that claimed focus and slide. The hours were long and aching, but when they finally did sleep, it was greedy and pure. One evening he was smoking on the deck. It was a rare moment alone, and he watched white tail swallowed behind them like a rose. He heard a sound up the ship, and he could only hear it due to the dearth of men on the boards at that hour. Plus, there were different sounds at night, like anywhere. The world was shifted in pitch. At first, he didn't catch it, didn't think. His mind threw a picture of a loosened cinch or the knot of a wide rope hanging tapping the hull. Something happened to him that night. A beautiful creature was clinging to the ship, 
moving up, moving to him. He had not seen one before, but he had heard. And to be honest, he had sensed her presence somewhere submerged from the moment they left. He knew a few things, that he knew real fear for the first real time. He knew he was chosen, knew he was food. He curled and rocked in his bed like a wave. When the ship docked, he went to a nice hotel and locked the room with a bolt, the dead bolt, and ordered up food and sat in a too-hot bath and watched the animals on public TV. He tried to sleep, and he did, but when he woke after crazy dreams at dawn, he couldn't explain if he tried how the room felt and how he knew she was there and had followed him somehow from the water, some way he didn't know. And he felt like he was melting and sliding and cold. And he knew why she had come. And it seemed to him like a sort of fate. It was sick and it was right. And he wanted with everything in him to stop and go outside to the bench by the trees and wait. He told no one, but he knew he had to keep moving. And it was the thing he most wanted to do and didn't want to do. And he wasn't sure he could survive this. And he wasn't sure he wanted to. But he left when the sun came up and boarded a plane and decided it wasn't far enough and got on a train and then walked a little while with his bag till his back and shoulders screamed. He found a car and drove it to the most inland place. No water to see. But she followed him there, over ranges, through fat and nominal towns, to the diners and filling stations with the helium kino cement, to the broken neon motels. He could smell her in the weeds just outside the light tube's swirl, he could see her slick breath. And he knew it was only a matter of time. And that all his efforts were dumb, knuckled, and nothing. Because he couldn't fight her now. She had chewed all the tests down to dime's door. To pat. The sea is the shock of your lover's blood, blue, heart. I know that she had been starting to do some uh, some work on, and I know this because there are images everywhere. There's the actual map, and then there are, uh, there are enlarged segments and um, the footnotes everywhere. Uh, there was this... Um, 16th century map um, that's a, a maybe a Scandinavian uh, Catholic cartographer. <laughs> uh, the, the Carta Marina, have you heard of this? It, it's probably what you think of when, you know, in the, in the popular imagination, uh, you know, whenever you hear, here be monsters, there be monsters. This was a map that one of the first of its kind that included um, all 
manner of sea monsters. And they're, they're quite fantastic. You know, this, it's a beautiful piece of work. Um, all of these figures, all of these creatures that I haven't heard before, haven't seen images of, um, some are, some seem funny, some are really scary. You know, there's everything from your classic dragon to uh, kind of, um, uh, you know, just just sea monster versions of land animals that we might be used to, like a like a sea pig, you know. <laughs> just and he actually has done this painstaking. You know, all of the creatures are are labeled in the you know and 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 keyed. Um, it's a beautiful map, and uh, I mean, I can see how you could just sort of fall into this thing and and uh, be in its in its throes for. <laughs> for years I, I think it has a lot to say um i've seen one strangely enough where the only threat that was depicted in the sea was a single eye a single eye and it, it was very specifically what we would think of as a, a feminine eye because of the way the lash the eyelash was done and uh, I have to wonder if what that was what that was symbolizing, just a single eye. Uh, it's strange, but I I do have this feeling that my friend will return, even further changed. Like I I might not even. I feel that I. You know, it seems strange, but I feel that I might not even recognize her visually. Um, you know, I, one one of the one of the other things that I found in her last pages um, that she was working on was kind of the um, you know, with any kind of a monster, a mythical monster like this, um, there's there's always ways to kill it, right? Ways to ward it off. But it's very hard to find that those kinds of uh, that kind of advice for this particular creature. Um, there doesn't seem to be anything directly affecting it. Um, anything that you can employ to protect you. Basically, your only weapon is resistance in the first place. It's kind of this prophylactic uh, suggestion. You know, maybe maybe the reason I've always found mermaids a little bit disturbing is because of that. Because I, I just didn't, I was never aware of how you killed one. Uh, what do you do with a creature, with a monster, whose will is simply greater than yours? If if you do, if you do inquire along these lines for say the sirens, there are specific ways that sirens can be killed. But there's nothing specifically about mermaids. But like the closest thing that she could find that was a um, a specific direction uh, was apparently uh, a siren can be killed with with a bronze dagger, but the dagger has to be. Uh, dipped in the blood of someone who has been affected by the siren. There is also this idea that, and I, again, I think this this is, is another reference to uh, these kind of feminine 
symbols and this this idea of 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 feminine feminine power and feminine weakness. Um, I think that this is runs exactly parallel. Um, apparently, seeing its own reflection will kill a siren. Um, seeing their own apparent monstrous reflection um, is just too much for for these powerful creatures to to bear. Um, any kind of indulgence of, of vanity, I, I guess. So the note, the note that she left uh, for me, I assume, was that she was going to, it said, I'm going to find my mirror. Hmm. And these, these last, um, these last words, these last details, um, I think that I'll, I'll have to, I'll have to just take that. They were walking on the road one day and past the pond. Gobbets of tall grass bent in a green wind from nearby hills. The house worked itself away behind them, a brown block receding. The boy turned his head toward the water, its surface rippling a fine yellow froth of pollen and tufts of reeds to the edge, making a ring. The lion, he said, is under the water. He stumbled a little in the scooped tire ruts of the path, and the man stepped forward to catch his tiny shoulder. The lion, said the man. Can it breathe? He touched the top of the boy's nodding head and peered over at the pond. I didn't think that lions liked water. Not like that, anyway. This one does. She can hide there. The boy stopped a moment. He seemed to be catching his breath or sighing, like he'd quickly become tired. She catches her food. He knew of it. There were stories of songs and screams at night. She? He asked. What does she eat? They moved off the road a few feet and sat on a wide fallen tree. It was red and the clumps of old bark clung to it like burned skin. They could still see the pond but had cleared it a bit. It felt, to the man, at a safer distance. People, said the boy. But that's hard. She gets hungry. When their family moved back here, it seemed the land had changed. There were fewer farms and more fires, and the sky seemed at once closer and farther away. At least it felt like that. But he didn't remember much from before. He tried to lighten the air. Is that where the sheep around here go when they disappear? He looked toward the mesas and the distant fields. There used to be a lot more. The crown on the south bluffs was painful blue with purpling veins. There was a storm coming. It would hit by afternoon. He thought about the boy 
and how he knew something, somehow, that he didn't. And he had the sense it was because he hadn't done it right, this job of protecting. But nothing had happened, really, he told himself. Nothing at all. Mm-hmm. But that was only the sheep from before, said the boy. He hit his tiny heels against the tree. The sheep right now are busy in the garden and the rain.